chapter number 44 of Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Arthur Piantadosi. Chapter 44. The time arrives for Nancy to redeem a pledged Rose Maylie. She fails. Adept as she was in all the arts of cunning and dissimulation, girl Nancy could not wholly conceal the effect which the knowledge of a step she had taken wrought upon her mind. She remembered that both the crafty Jew and the brutal Sykes had confided to her schemes, which had been hidden from all others, in the full confidence that she was trustworthy and beyond the reach of their suspicion. Vile as those schemes were, desperate as were their originators, and bitter as were her feelings towards Fagin, who led her step by step, deeper and deeper down into the abyss of crime and misery, whence was no escape. Still, there were times when, even towards him, she felt some relenting, lest her disclosure should bring him within the iron grasp she had so long eluded, and he should fall at last, richly as he rarited such a fate, by her hand. But these were the mere wanderings of a mind unable wholly to detach itself from old companions and associations, though enabled to fix itself steadily on one object and resolve not to be turned aside by any consideration. Her fears for Sykes would have been more powerful intimate to recoil while there was still a time. But she had stipulated that her secret should be rigidly kept. She had dropped no clue which could lead to his discovery. She had refused, even for his sake, a refuge from all the guilt and wretchedness that encompassed her. And what more could she do? She was resolved. Though all her mental struggles terminated in this condition, they forced themselves upon her again and again. It left their traces too. She grew pale and thin. Even within a few days, at times she took no heed of what was passing before her, or no part in conversations where once she would have been the loudest. At other times she laughed without merriment, and was noisy without a moment outwards. She sat silent and dejected, brooding with her head upon her hands, while the very effort by which she roused herself told, more forcibly than even these indications, that she was ill at ease, and that her thoughts were occupied with matters very different and distant from those in the course of discussion and by her companions. It was Sunday night, and the bell of the nearest church tolled the hour. Sykes and the Jew were talking, but they paused to listen. The girl looked up from the low seat on which she crouched and listened too. Eleven. And I will sign at midnight, said Sykes, raising the blind to look out and returning to his seat. Dog heaven is too a good night for business, this. Ah, replied Peggy. What a pity, Biggle, my dear. That there's none quite ready to be done. You lie for once, replied Sykes gruffly. It's a pity for all the humour too. Fagin sighed <sighs> and shook his head despondingly. We must make up for lost time when we got things into your train. That's all I know, said Sykes. That's a good way to talk, my dear replied Fagin, venturing to pat him on the shoulder. It does me good to hear you. Does you good, does it? 
cried Sykes. Won't soon be it! Ha ha ha! laughed Aegin, as if he were relieved by even this concession. You are like yourself tonight, Bill. Quite like yourself. I don't feel like myself, and you will lay that willow claw on my shoulder, so take it away, said Sykes, casting off the Jew's hand. It makes you nervous, Bill. It reminds you of being that, does it? said Fagin, determined not to be offended. Reminds me of being nabbed by the devil, returned Sykes. And never was in all the man's sort of face at yours unless it were your father. It's both he is singing his grizzled red beard by this time, unless you came straight from the old wall without a father at all betwixt you, which I didn't wonder at a bit. Fagin offered no reply to this compliment, but pulling Sykes by the sleeve, pointed his finger towards Nancy, who had taken advantage of the foregoing conversation to put on her bonnet and was now leaving the room. I know! cried Sykes. Nance, where's the girl going to in this time of night? Far. Who answers that? retorted Sykes. You hear me? I don't know where, returned the girl. And I do, said Sykes, more in the spirit of obstinacy than does he any real objection to the girl going where she listed. Nowhere! Sit down! Not well. I told you that before. Joined the girl. Oh, breath air! Pull your head out of the winder! replied Sykes. It's not enough there, said the girl. I want it in the street. And you won't have it, replied Sykes, with which assurance he rose, locked the door, took the key out, and pulling her bonnet from her head, flung it up to the top of an old press. There! said the robber. Now stop quietly where you are, will you? It's not such a matter as a boy it will keep me, said the girl, turning very pale. What do you mean, Pill? Do you know what you're doing? No, Lord! Oh! cried Sykes, turning Fagin. She's out of her senses, you know. Oh, she don't torment her that way. You drive me on something desperate, muttered the girl, placing both hands on her breast as though to keep down my false and violent outbreak. Let me go, will you? This minute, this instant. No, said Sykes. Tell him to let me go, Fagin. You'd better. It'll be better for him. You hear me? Cried Nancy, stamping her foot upon the ground. Hear you? Repeated Sykes, turning round in his chair to Unfodder. Oi! And if I hear for a minute longer, the dog shall have such a grip of your throat to tear some of that screaming voice out. Who's come over you, you jade? Who is it? Let me go, said the girl with great earnestness. Then sitting herself down on the floor before the door, she said, Bill, let me go. You don't know what you're doing. You don't indeed. For only one hour. Do, do. Cut my limbs all one by one, cried Sykes, seizing her up by the arm. I don't think a girl will start raving mad. Get up. Naughty, let me go! Naughty, let me go! Never! Never! screamed the girl. Sykes looked on for a minute, watching his opportunity, and suddenly pinioning her hands, dragged her, struggling and wrestling with him by the way, into a small room adjoining, where he sat himself on a bench and thrusting her into a chair, held her down by force, 
She struggled and implored by turns until twelve o'clock had struck, and then, wearied and exhausted, ceased to contest the point any farther. With the caution, backed up by many oaths to make no more efforts to go out that night, Sykes left her to recover at leisure and rejoin Fagin. Well, said the housebreaker, wiping perspiration from his face. Oh, precious strange cow that is. You may say that, Bill, replied Fagin thoughtfully. You may say that. Was she taking anywhere to go out tonight for, you think? Now, Sykes, come, you should know her better than me. What does it mean? Obstinacy, woman's obstinacy, I suppose, my dear. Oh, I suppose it is, drowned Sykes. I thought I tamed her, but she's as bold as ever. Worse, said Fagin thoughtfully. I never knew her like this, for such a little cause. No, I, said Sykes. I think she's got to that fever in her blood yet. It won't come out, eh? Like enough. Oh, let her a little blow without troubling the doctor if you took that way again, said Sykes. Fagin nodded an expressive approval of this mode of treatment. She was hanging about me all day and night too when I was stretching on my back and you, like a black-hearted wolf as you are, kept yourself aloof, said Sykes. We was poor too. All the time, and I think one way or another, it's worrying and fretting her, and that being shut up here so long has made her restless, eh? That it is, my dear, was loud the Jew with a whisper. Hush! As she answered these words, the girl herself appeared and resumed her former seat. Her eyes were swollen and red. She rocked herself to and fro, tossed her head, and after a little time burst out laughing. What now? She's only on the dark! exclaimed Sykes, turning a look of excessive surprise on his companion. Fagin nodded to him to take no further notice just then, and in a few minutes the girl subsided into her accustomed demeanour. Whispering Sykes that there was no fear of her relapsing, Fagin took up his hat and bade him good night. He paused when he reached the room door and looked round, asked if somebody would let him down the dark stairs. Lure him down! was filling his pipe. It's a pity he should break his neck himself and his ball point in sizes. Show him a lie. Nancy followed the old man downstairs with a candle. When they reached the passage, he laid his finger on his lip and drawing close to the girl, said in a whisper, What is it, Nancy, dear? What do you mean? replied the girl in the same tone. The reason of all this, replied Fagin. He pointed with his skinny forefinger up the stairs. It is so hard with you. He's a brute, Nance. A priest, not a priest. Why don't you? Well, said the girl, as Fagin paused, with his mouth almost touching his ear and his eyes looking into hers. No matter just now. We'll talk of this again. You've a friend in me, Nance. A staunch friend. I have the means at hand, quiet and close. If you want revenge on those that treat you like a dog, like a dog, worse than his dog, for he humours him sometimes. Come to me, and I say, come to me. He's a mere hound of a day, but you know me of old, Lance. I know you well, 
implying the girl without manifesting the latest emotion. Good night. She shrank back as Fagin offered her lady his hand on hers, but said good night again. In a steady voice, and answering his parting look with a nod of intelligence, closed the door between them. Fagin walked towards his home, intent upon the thoughts that were working within his brain. He had conceived the idea, not from what he had just passed through with that at a to confirm him, but slowly and by degrees. But Nancy, wearied of the housebreaker's brutality, had conceived an attachment for some new friend, an altered manner, a repeated absence from home alone. In comparative indifference to the interests of a gang for which he had once been so zealous, and added to these, a desperate impatience to leave home that night at a particular hour, all favoured the supposition and rendered it, to him at least, almost matter of certainty. The object of this new liking was not among his myrmidons. He would be a valuable acquisition with such an assistant as Nancy, and must, thus Blagan argued, be secure without delay. There was another and darker object to be gained. Sykes knew too much, and his ruffian taunts had not galled nevertheless, because the wounds were hidden. The girl must know, well, that if she shook him off, she could never be safe from his fury, and that it would surely be reaped to the maiming of limbs, and perhaps a loss of life, on the object of her more recent fancy. With a little persuasion, thought Fagin, what more likely than that she would consent to poison him? Woman have done such things, and worse, to secure the same object before now. There would be a dangerous villain, the man I hate, gone. Another secured in his place, my influence over the girl, with the knowledge of his crime to back it, unlimited. These things passed through the mind of Fagin during the short time he sat alone in the housebreaker's room, and with them uppermost in his thoughts he had taken the opportunity afterwards afforded him, of sounding the girl in the broken hints he threw out in parting. There was no expression of surprise, no assumption of an inability to understand his meaning. The girl clearly comprehended it. Her glance at parting showed that. But perhaps she would recoil from a plot to take the life of Sykes, and that was one of the chief ends to be attained. How, thought Fagin, as he crept homeward, can I increase my influence with her? What new power can I acquire? Such brains are fertile in its speedums, if, without its dignity, uh, uh, confession from herself, he laid a watch, discovered the object of her altered regard, and threatened to reveal the whole history to Sykes, of whom she stood in no common fear, unless she entered into his designs. Could he not consider her his implants? I can, said Fagin almost aloud. She durst not, if you recalls me then. Not for her life, not. I have it all. The means ready and shall be set to work. I shall have you yet. He cast back a dark look and threatening motion of the hand towards a spot where she had left the bolder villain and went on his way, busying his bony hands in the fold of his tattered garment, which he wrenched tightly in his grasp as though they were a hated enemy crushed with every motion of his fingers. End of chapter 44 of Oliver Twist